T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Two years after a blue wave swept over northern Illinois, Adam Kinzinger was left as the only Republican Congress member in the greater Chicago area. Over five terms, he's built a reputation as an advocate for veterans and the military in general and national security and a proponent of a more civil tone in politics. Well, recently, he's gotten attention for something else. He's a Republican lawmaker who has called on President Trump and others in his party to stop stirring up anger over an election that all signs say that Donald Trump lost. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Adam Kinzinger was first elected to Congress a decade ago to the seat once held by Democrat Debbie Halverson and Republican Don Manzullo. It was the 11th district when he got there and the 16th district now. Before he was a congressman, Kinzinger was an Air Force pilot serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. He continues to serve in the Air National Guard. In Congress, he's a conservative who still manages to work in a bipartisan way. In fact, he co-sponsored the American Manufacturing Competitiveness Act with outgoing Democrat Dan Lipinski, and more recently, a bipartisan act to train healthcare professionals and others to recognize and treat victims of human trafficking. Uh, born in Kankakee, the congressman and his wife live in Chanahan now. Right now, while we're recording this, he is in Washington, D.C., and we are conducting this interview via Zoom. Adam Kinzinger, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, we might as well hit the recent headlines right off. Uh, your Twitter feed in recent uh, weeks has devoted considerable time and energy to trying to separate fact from fiction amid all the uh, rhetoric over the presidential election. And you've had some words for the president himself. It seems as if in some circles the rhetoric is intensifying, even as the legal complaints about election fraud are being tossed out by court after court. What is going on here? So, look, I think it's a couple of things. So first off, any election, you know, especially national elections, you're going to find instances of voter fraud or improper voting. That's one thing. And that's always something we should go after. But it's very different, you know, when you have states that are won by a significant margin and voter fraud could not have led to that kind of a marginal difference. When you have accusations being leveled on Twitter that the president is retweeting, you know, things like one vote upload, this is like on election day, vote uploads, you know, 32,000 for Biden and zero for Trump. Well, you have to look deeper into that to find out that it, they mistakenly uploaded just the Trump side or just the Biden side of that. And actually Trump got double the number of votes he should have on the next upload because they corrected it. What happens is you tear away at 
the one thing that keeps self-governance together, which is this idea that when you vote, you've had your voice heard. I mean, really, with Twitter and, you know, everything out there, people nowadays feel like, you know, every day they're having an impact in politics and they can. But really, your biggest impact is every two years when you vote. And if you take that away or you erode further trust in that, it's really dangerous for the future of a democracy. And I think this is the moment, at least in my case, where I feel compelled to set that straight. And, you know, don't take what you see on Twitter, or frankly, sometimes what the president tweets is gospel. Do your own research on it to find out what's true. And after President Trump uh, posted his 46 minute speech alleging massive fraud and corruption in several states, you tweeted that it was time for him to delete his account. Um, (laughs) I think we both know that's not going to happen. But he continues to say as often as he can that he won by a lot and the election's being stolen. And some people say that is and, and you have suggested that's that's a dangerous thing. It's certainly a demoralizing thing for a lot of people. But Others are saying, you know what, this is going to resolve itself. What's the harm in letting him rant and rave and let things play out? Well, look, it will resolve itself. I mean, the Constitution and and the process is much stronger than any one person. Um, But what the damage is, is long term. So long term, what happens when the next Republican or the next Democrat does the same things? And now you create all this angst across the spectrum. People can't have conversations with each other anymore. If a news agency comes on and fact checks something that's obviously not true, the reaction is, well, that news agency is supporting the candidate I don't like. And the problem is, is not necessarily in January, but eventually that can lead to some real deep problems. You know, politics was invented to allow people to to resolve conflicts without resorting to violence. And everything that today we worry about or we're concerned about If this whole thing falls apart, that will pale in comparison. You're not going to be able to go to Walgreens and get your blood thinner medicine uh, if this whole thing has failed. And so I've seen, I travel a lot, military and Congress, I've seen countries that struggle with this. I see the difficulties they have, and I'm just trying to blare a warning horn and and hope that it makes some difference. Yeah, I mean, how concerned are you that the people who are being told that their government is essentially being overthrown by radicals, um, will, for the lack of a better word, overreact. I mean, we've seen some of that, uh, you know, in Michigan, the, you know, there was a plot against the governor. This is, you know, some people worry that this is the kind of atmosphere that it's leading to. I, I think it could lead to it. I don't, I don't really believe that that will happen anytime soon. But I think it's one of those things that we're almost right now at the point where we're a little late to the game and recognizing what's happening. And if we wait any longer to call it out or recognize it, it's going to be too late. You know, you look at this QAnon conspiracies. The latest one is, you know, that the Pentagon actually attacked the CIA and they had a war with each other over a server farm in Germany that proves this election was stolen. And people believe it. And everybody's retweeting it on Twitter. And so I'll bring that up. And sometimes you see people say, don't give that attention. Well, it's already gotten attention. The problem is nobody's reacting to it. And what you forget and the problem, actually the brilliance of conspiracy theories, is you believe it. If it doesn't come true, you forget that you ever believed it because you're already on to the next one. You know, Hillary Clinton was supposed to be in jail already in the fall of 2017 and all these other things that Q has predicted. But it leads to a deep mistrust. And, you know, part of it is our responsibility. Everybody that runs for reelection or for election 
runs against Washington. They tell you to do that. You're like, hey, everybody in Washington's terrible except me, vote for me. Well, eventually, 20 years of that, and you're eroding trust in institutions. The last thing I want to ask about this, because we do have a lot to talk about, but what is this protracted fight over the election doing to the Republican Party? Well, I think that remains to be seen, and that remains to be seen by what happens, you know, after January. Is this a party? I'm sure Trump will always have some influence. Um, and I think he, he really reached into people that felt disaffected. So I think the Republican Party needs to look at, you know, how do we continue to now inspire the same people that feel left out and not necessarily have to appeal to their anger? Anger may work for an election or two. It doesn't work long term. And, you know, for me, I think about we don't we haven't had a good spokesman for conservatism since Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, that could define it. So we need that again. You know, in my mind, a conservative isn't somebody that's for lower taxes. That's just how to get to what we want to do. What I want to do is know that a kid born in the inner city of Chicago has the same opportunity as a kid born in Inverness or Alexandria, Virginia. Hmm. Um, well, let's talk about what is going to happen after January and in January. I mean, Democrat Joe Biden is going to be uh, or is expected to be uh, sworn in January 20th. Uh, there's no doubt his administration is going to be very different from Donald Trump's, uh, besides considerably fewer late night tweets. Uh, what is your concern about the incoming occupant of the White House? So my concerns are all based on policy and not based on person. I think Joe Biden's an honorable man. Uh, I, I, I've interacted with him a handful of times. Uh, Policy-wise, I, I have real concerns about the Iran situation. I have real concerns about what are we going to do to address the threat in China? Uh, and, of course, domestic concerns. What does an economic recovery look like? But, you know, as a, as a person, I'm, I'm not concerned about him as a person. Um, I'll say this, though, too. I think... You know, it's going to be a couple of years where we may find some big bipartisan achievements like infrastructure. Uh, we definitely actually have to tack it, tackle the budget um, because the Democrats have a very razor thin majority. I don't think they're going to be able to pass anything uh, very easily. Uh, you know, we, the, the Senate still remains to be seen. And Joe Biden seemingly knows how to make a deal. So as long as his left flank allows him to have a discussion with Republicans, we may be able to achieve some things. It could be, it could be beneficial in that way, or it could just be a couple of years where we get a paycheck to do not much. Well, COVID-19 is obviously going to have to be addressed uh, by this Congress and by this administration, but with even wearing face masks, a partisan issue, what can and or what should the House and Senate agree on to slow the spread of this disease? This Aside from the vaccine. Yeah, look, I, I said right when this started, I was amazed at the unity of this country. But I remember telling my wife, soon face masks are going to be partisan. And I was right. I'm not an oracle. I just know how this stuff goes. And so I don't know where we're ever going to. I think in history, looking back, you know, the non-believers in COVID will believe it. They'll recognize it. Um, I think, you know, right now, obviously, the vaccine's important. But I think what Congress needs to do is make sure there's funding there to keep the economy at least on idle, to make sure that all these restaurants and businesses that are closing uh, don't close or we can save as many as we can. It's the time to spend money into debt when, we, when we're in an emergency and then set, us, set ourselves up for a solid economic recovery, including understanding 
that there is going to be a massive disparity between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, we're going to have to think outside the box on that. We're going to have to rethink education and giving kids opportunities and, and how to invest in communities. Um, but in the short term, you know, I, I don't know if I can give a compelling speech on the reality of COVID. Um, I think both sides have their issues. There are some people that will never wear a mask. And there are some people that if you're outside by yourself without a mask, try to mask shame you. Neither of those are helpful, frankly, to the cause of if you're around people, social distance and wear a mask. Uh, I do think someday we'll look back and those that didn't believe in the seriousness of this will shake their head and be disappointed in what they believed and probably never admit that they didn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, we've seen that happen on other things before. <laughs> I, what about the kind of COVID relief that's needed? Uh at least as far as local businesses, local governments, it seems as if that's become a partisan thing as well. Uh, I know that there's a move among senators. Uh, in fact, uh, Dick Durbin was talking about that earlier to, uh, before we were recording this, uh, saying that there's a $908 billion proposal that Republicans and Democrats have worked out, but one of the people at the table was not Mitch McConnell, uh, and that's an issue. But how do we get over that hump? Because, again, if you're giving money to local governments, there are going to be people who say, yeah, but those are the, lo the Democratic local governments that got into trouble in the first place. What do we do? So I think, you know, I'm excited to see this thing coming together. I think we have to do two things. Number one, recognize that even in an emergency uh, trying to compete over the size of a number is really devastating to future generations. So we had done everything in a bipartisan way up until Nancy Pelosi brought up uh, a Democratic-only stimulus bill and never talked to even Republicans. And it was like uh, $4 trillion or something insane. And, and it had a lot that had nothing to do with COVID. And I think that's what began to send us down this partisan path. And you know, the Triple P program has been great, making making sure that we have PPE available and stuff for hospitals and that they are made whole and same with state and local governments. But I think the bottom line when it comes to helping state and local governments is helping them for the impact that COVID has had on them, but not for prior mismanagement. And that's how you solve it. Look, Illinois has a fundamental problem with its budget. I think it's something like 70% of expenditures are on pensions and it's only growing. And then pensioners are getting compounding interest and all this kind of stuff. Um, the federal government, at least with Republicans involved, which we have a close enough majority, is not gonna get bailed out for that mismanagement. Uh, but we will, and we will advocate hard to help state and local governments for the impact of COVID. But Illinois still has to make tough decisions and raising taxes alone is not gonna be the answer to fix that. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois' 16th District. Well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, what's going to happen and what needs to happen in Congress. Uh, depending on the outcome of the Georgia Senate runoffs next uh, month, is the upper chamber still going to end up just because of the political uh, animosities be the place where Democratic bills go to die? Quite possibly. Um, I mean, it depends what it looks like. You know, I think, you know, the sad reality about the Senate is it used to be the grownups. And the whole point of the Senate was only a third of it is up for election every cycle. So it's very slow to react, kind of 
whimsical wills of the people and it's supposed to be that calming force and what's instead happened is the senate has become the place where everybody that wants to be president goes and the only way to be president now is to be famous the only way to be famous is to be controversial and say crazy things and that's on both sides what we've been seeing um so i do think there's going to continue to be some some difficulty there i do think though in the long run I'm, I'm uh, a long game optimistic about this country because I think watching the young generation wake up to the impact that social media has on our discourse, I think watching, uh, you know, parties, the fact that the country is divided so perfectly 50-50 between Republican and Democrat is proof that, that parties really do kind of conform to what they need to. So long term, I'm optimistic, but I've got to tell you that will only happen if we wake up to the reality that when you go on social media and when you have conversations and when you call stuff fake news, um, you are taking away that common set of facts and radicalizing yourself. And that is a very dangerous place for a democracy to be. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how uh, we get through some of this because when people disagree about the very basic facts in, you know, in, in our discourse, uh, you know, it's it's hard to con- you know, fifty percent of the people will look up, will will say the sky is green. Fifty percent will say the sky is orange, and nobody looks up. Uh, right. And and that's uh, that seems a hard uh, a hard hurdle to get over. I, I, behind the scenes, are you seeing that people are more rational when they aren't on the public stage? Or you know, are there signs that? people might be able to get together quietly behind closed doors. We do. Um, It's actually gotten a lot worse out here than it's been in 10 years, but we still, I mean, you know, by the end of this term, I think if uh, when some of the stuff goes through that we need to do, I'll pass, you know, an additional six bipartisan bills. I mean, so there's a lot of that. It doesn't make news and because it's not exciting, but um, I, I, the thing I'm worrying about though is, is just again, when we look at each other as the enemy and, you know, media bears some responsibility, I think in the long term too, if you look at, you know, for instance, CNN, which used to be fantastic for things like international politics. um, It's been obsessed with Donald Trump for four years, Fox news, the same on the other side. Most people don't know that China and India almost went into war with each other. They don't know about Azerbaijan and, uh, and Armenia war because, it wasn't discussed because Trump was the moment. So everybody bears some blame on this. I think the institution will survive and it'll be fine. Um, But the problem is when the cameras come on, we yell at each other and people don't see that other side of it. And so they think that's how everybody acts now. And I'm going to want to ask you about uh, uh, international affairs in just a second. But I, I, I have to tell you, one of my favorite interviews, and I did it with another journalist, was with one of your predecessors, and we were talking about bipartisanism, and it was uh, Don Manzullo, mm-hmm. who was known as Mad Dog. I mean, <laughs> so this is not a uh, this was not a liberal uh, guy here necessarily, but we asked him what he thought had contributed to the 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 rancor that was in Congress even at that time, and this is right after he had lost, uh, and he said, "Jet." air travel and like we both like went what (laughs) and he said i was a congressional aide back in you know back in the old days and we couldn't go home on the weekends and he said so my only friends were people in congress 
our families ate together and lived together. He said, how do you treat somebody like that, like the devil? He said, we, we all right. understood that we were human. He said, jet air travel ruined Congress. Yeah, and, he's right. He's yeah. right. And you think about it, every race you run, if you ever spend a weekend in D.C., your opponent runs that you've gone D.C. and you don't even come home. So you come home every weekend. And he's right, you know. And I think the pandemic's making it worse because even though we're in D.C., we're not hanging out together. Yeah. And uh, so hopefully it doesn't do any lasting damage. Well, now let's talk about uh, the other dangers and what is going on overseas. I mean, coronavirus aside, you've maintained that China is a, a clear and present national security threat. Uh, when it comes to trade and the global economy, what should Congress and the White House be doing as this new administration takes over? Well, you know, if I had my druthers, I would actually put the United States into the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a big free trade zone basically around China. The reason being, it gives a much easier opportunity for the free market to exit China and locate in areas uh, with, frankly, inexpensive labor, which some of these products, you know, are going to gravitate to. But they're allies of the United States. Um, I do think we have to defend our trading practices. It's one of the good things that Trump was doing on trade, although you don't take on all these trade fights at once. You focus fire, you bring your allies with you. Um, and, and so I think that's important. I think also recognizing you know, the words of China. President Xi is one of the most racist people out there. And the problem is we don't know it because we can only read the English media version of what the Chinese translate. He has called the Chinese people racially, ethnically, and morally superior to any other race on earth. And, and you look at then what he's trying to do and you understand his reasons behind it. You understand that TikTok, although it's a fun app, the reason we're concerned with it is because it's worse than if the NSA was monitoring Facebook the whole time, which would outrage every American, the CCP is monitoring TikTok and uh, the Chinese Communist Party. They know where you're going. They're storing this information. Um, there's a lot of danger, including in space and elsewhere, that we have to wake up to. And this has got to be a generational unit unifying fight. And we cannot use things like China as political bludgeons just simply to win the next election. Um, I do want to take some time to talk about something you have uh, been very concerned about, and that is the uh, LaSalle Veterans Home. I mean, we know COVID-19 killed over a quarter million Americans, but many of them have been in nursing homes and similar facilities. Um, the number of deaths and amid the outbreak at the LaSalle Veterans Home, talk about what you've been learning about that crisis there. Yeah, so we know that the first case was uh, November 1st. We know that uh, Illinois, the state of Illinois, did not send the first official there, uh, public official, till November 12th. Uh, and we, you know, we had already had seven COVID deaths by that point. We know that an assessment was done and there was hand sanitizer in there that didn't have any alcohol in it that could not kill COVID, which contributed to it. We knew some of the staff went to a Halloween party and all contracted COVID, a lot of things like that. And we know that the federal government offered help and it wasn't until the end of this month, frankly, or the end of November that uh, that, that help was received and on the ground. So I'm not saying this to just throw and cast stones, but I do think we need answers to this. This is, the, the Illinois' response to this is four times longer than what it took to respond to the Legionnaires outbreak in, uh, in, in Quincy. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. We should have prepared for this and expected it. Almost every resident has had COVID, many of the staff, and we have over 
20 some dead now, even more. And, uh, and it's devastating. And these are people that obviously serve their country, wanted to live out the twilight of their lives in the best possible way they could and, you know, have been isolated in the first place. So it's really tragic. And, and quite honestly, we need to figure out what happened here. So it never happens again. And, and how far has that investigation gone or is it just in its beginning stages it's really in its beginning again we knew this outbreak at the beginning of november was happening on november 19th my staff and senator sue resin had a call with the u.s veterans affairs that said they have an offer on the table um, and they've been calling the state daily to accept their help an infectious disease expert to come because our own local infectious disease expert had covid and was unavailable and uh, we know that that person was not in place until the end of November. Uh, so, you know, it's a big concern. And I don't want to use it again as just like sometimes happens in this business where it just becomes a political thing. But this is something that desperately needs answered because you know, there's other veterans homes in Illinois and in the country that we have to be careful to to learn from any bad incident. Have you gotten any kind of satisfactory response at this point, and even to your earliest uh, uh, inquiries from the uh, from the Fritzker administration, I haven't. You know, as of as of right now, they put out a counter narrative to it, which actually talked about things totally different, accepting PPE from the federal government, which has nothing to do with the federal offer to send an infectious disease. They claim that at the point they were offered it, they began the process, which beginning the process who knows what that actually means, of forming an intergovernmental agreement to figure scope of action. Uh, quite honestly, if I'm the state of Illinois, I'm going to say, you know, heck yes, get here now. We'll figure out whatever paperwork we need. And I guarantee you the feds would have done that, but they can't come in unless invited or agreed to come into a state veterans home. So I haven't. It's turned into a defensive posture by the governor. And, uh, and, and we just we just want answers. And maybe, you know, maybe he's got a, a, a great answer for it. He's put an inspector general in charge. Problem is, that takes four to six months to get answers through an IG. So we're, we're concerned. And investigations are, by definition, backward looking. But there are still people in that home. Uh, and as you point out, there are people in other uh, veterans facilities. What needs to be happening now? for those people uh, to preserve the lives that are still there. Yeah, I think take what we know now, for instance, that the state had contracted for hand sanitizer that couldn't kill COVID. Um, make sure that's obviously not the case. Make sure the mask wearing is happening. Make sure, you know, staff that agree to work there are not going to Halloween parties, for instance, together. And then understanding when an outbreak starts, what is the lockdown procedure? What can we do to bring in federal help immediately to have these agreements in place? If you really do have to do a long intergovernmental agreement before a federal officer shows up, maybe that should have been in place before this happened in the beginning. Um, whatever you can learn from this, put into place at every other Illinois veterans home. And also the great thing about having the feds involved is they now can be able to share any lessons learned or information with other homes around the country. I just want to raise one other issue because you've uh, been uh, working on a, a bill with about this and that's to address the cycle of violence in our cities. We only have really about a minute and a half left, but tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll just say, you know, Dutch Ruppersberger, great guy. Uh, he had seen a hospital in Maryland that basically was interdicting cycles of violence. So somebody 
in the hospital for the second time, for instance, interdicting them with counselors and help to figure out why this is happening to great success, much less repeat instances of that. And that's something that we're starting a pilot program to get done so that hospitals can put that in place as well. Because what you don't want is somebody to get out of the hospital and then have nobody there to help them through exiting that cycle of violence so that they think that, you know, only going back to that partner is the only safe place to be. And especially during the pandemic with depression and violence, obviously on the rise, people at home together more, uh, it's very important. So it'll be a big win. And uh, hopefully it gets, it gets done and signed in the law very soon. Um, very quickly, do, do local authorities or local governments have the resources to the, or the, the infrastructure to actually make this work? Some areas do, some don't. And that's what we want to know and be able to help. And uh, because, you know, if you're a police department that's stretched thin, uh, if you don't have any counselors available, you're not going to be able to do it. If you do, uh, we can intersect that cycle of violence earlier than we have been. That is going to be the final word. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, 16th District, thank you very much Anytime. for spending the time with me. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link at the bottom of the home page, and you can also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.